Bibles, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. Um, 2 Corinthians 12, and as you're, as you're turning there, um, I'm going to share with you a little story that maybe you'll find relatable, maybe you won't. Um, I do a lot of, well, I do just about all work on my own vehicles, and I have an old truck. Anybody else have, have an old truck? Something about an old truck, you just can't, you can't part with it. And um, When you have an older truck, you do some work on it. And I was replacing the exhaust manifold on my truck. And if you've ever tried to replace an exhaust manifold on a truck that has 250,000 miles, um, there's a saying that I've heard, maybe you've heard it before, that every quick job is one broken bolt away from becoming a three-day ordeal. Um, and that was somewhat of the case with this project. And if you've ever worked on a, a vehicle before and you're, you're doing a, a job like that, you're right up there in the engine. And eventually you become one with the machine. And when you emerge, you look nothing like you looked on the way in. And that was the case with me. Um, I was covered in, in, in oil and rust and all kinds of road grime when I realized there was a broken bolt that had broken off it. Some of you don't need to know all this technical information, but it broke off in the head of the engine. I had to extract, and then I had to go to the shop to get some new, head, new bolts for the, intake, or the exhaust manifold. So as I was going, um, my wife asked me if I would pick some things up for her on the way home. So I decided, well, I'm going to get this bolt. I'm going to stop by Walmart, and I'm going to go back, get this on my truck, and go home. Well, I had kind of forgotten how disheveled I looked and how dirty I was, and you know when people are giving you weird looks at Walmart for the way you look, that, that you, you look very interesting. And I happened to run into one of our students who attends our student ministry. Um, this student's parents don't, don't attend church anywhere, so I was glad to see the student with her parents. So I made sure to wave at her and say hi to her, and she came right up and started talking to me. And the parents were just kind of eyeing me, thinking, who is this person that our daughter is talking to. So I introduced myself. I said, my name is Matt McClay. I'm the student pastor at Lewis Memorial. She, you know, this student attends our student ministry. We love having her. And the dad just kind of looked me up, up one side, down the other, and said, you look awful strange for a minister. <laughs> and tonight we're going to be talking about one of those ministries or ministers that God often sends to us that to us seems like a strange minister. We're going to be talking about how God sends to us the minister or the ministry of weakness. There are some strange ministers that God sends in our life. We learn that suffering is one of those things that God uses to minister in our lives. Circumstances in our lives God uses to minister in our lives. Disappointment, we see how God uses that to minister in our lives. But tonight we're going to be talking about weakness. Yeah, I realize this is somewhat of an encouraging message, and, and Jeremy this morning had somewhat of an encouraging message, so I decided tomorrow he and I will start a talk show where people can just call in and be encouraged, but I've never met anybody who felt too encouraged, so I hope that tonight maybe you'll feel too encouraged when you leave here um, this evening. The problem of weakness reminds us of all of the things, all the reasons we shouldn't do what God has called us to do. You know, over the last few weeks, and I think probably even months, Pastor Lemming has gone through the grace approach with us, giving us some ways in which we can share the gospel of Jesus with others. And I, I hope it's been as helpful for you as it's been helpful for me. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, I left last week kind of fired up, ready to share the gospel with people, but then I started remembering some of the reasons that I shouldn't be sharing the gospel. I remembered how I'm not an extrovert. I'm an introvert. It's hard for me to just start conversations with people. 
I reminded myself of how, especially growing up in school, I was not very good at speaking to people or speaking in front of people or thinking about things off the top of my head. Maybe that's some of you tonight. I started thinking about all of my weaknesses and all of the reasons that, according to my flesh, I should not be sharing the gospel. But I came across this section of scripture um, that is, is, is not an uncommon section of scripture. It's not an unfamiliar section of scripture, but it reminded me that those very weaknesses in my life are things that God has used in the past and I believe he'll continue to use as a special way for his power to work through me and to work through you to reach people for Christ. Uh, so tonight we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 10 and we're going to read about one of the most popular, one of the greatest Christians ever, I guess you could say, who had some very significant weaknesses. We've been going through 1 Corinthians uh, with Pastor Lemming. We took a break from it. From what I understand, we're starting back next Sunday, which I'm very excited about. But this is 2 Corinthians. Some time has transpired between the writing of 1 Corinthians and the writing of 2 Corinthians. Um, Many scholars believe there were actually a series of letters that had passed back and forth between Paul and between the church in Corinth because they were what you would call a high-maintenance group of people. Anybody, Anybody, there's a high-maintenance person that lives with you? Or that you know, you wouldn't raise your hand, would you? Uh, But they were a high-maintenance church, and and there were a series of letters back and forth that corresponded between the Apostle Paul and the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians, it was a a pastoral letter. Paul was setting things right that needed to be set right in the church, dealing with their behavior. 2 Corinthians was a letter in which the Apostle Paul was was arguing for and, and instating his apostolic authority. There were people who'd come into the church and, and were better speakers than he was and, and, and were more dynamic personalities than he was. And these people in Corinth thought, well, because, because these people are so much better speakers and they're so more talented and it seems like on the outside so much more gifted than Paul who was, who, who was kind of a soft-spoken guy and kind of, kind of maybe a bookworm. We should, we should stop listening to Paul and we should listen to these guys. And 2 Corinthians is Paul explaining why they should listen to him because he has the words that were given by God to him for them. In 2, in 2 Corinthians 12, we find that he's bookending a section where he's explaining why the weaknesses that he has are actually strengths for this church. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1, the Apostle Paul, the words of God through him, writes, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man who in Christ was 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. I know this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should boast, I would not be a fool, for I'd be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being, becoming conceited, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power 
is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask that in these next few moments, as we consider how even in our weaknesses, you are so strong, God, that it will be an encouragement to us, but it will also be a challenge to us. That as we serve you, even from positions of weakness, we trust you to work in us. We trust you to do great things for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is an interesting section of Scripture because we see the ups and downs of the life of the Apostle Paul. Have you ever had a, a year that was an up and down year? Or Some of us, we've had days that are up and down days. And Paul's life was a roller coaster. It was like the Big Dipper. You don't trust the lap bar. You just hold on to what you can and hope that you survive at the end. And that's what we find here. You see, first in the, the first section of chapter 12, that Paul has a literally an out-of-this-world experience. He speaks in the first six verses of being caught up into the third heaven 14 years ago from the date that he was writing this. He doesn't know if he was in the body, if it was an in-the-body experience or an out-of-the-body experience, but this was one of those miraculous Times in which the Lord Jesus Christ revealed to the Apostle Paul his words. He says, I don't know what this man was caught in, and I know that this man was caught up into paradise. And then in verse 4, he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. I would love to know what the Apostle Paul heard when he was taken up into heaven and God gave him those special words. From what it sounds like, they may have been personal words. Uh, They may have been words of great encouragement. Can you imagine how Paul felt after he received that special revelation from God? We're so thankful to have God's word that we we can have from, from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. Wouldn't it be something, though, to be taken into heaven and to hear audibly the voice of God? It would be absolutely incredible. And this was one of, from what we can see in Scripture, six visions, six special instances of revelation that Paul heard from the Lord. What an incredible life it must have been for him. The highs were so high, so high. But what we also know, reading through the Bible, is that the lows were incredibly, incredibly low. One of those lows that we read about was this thorn in the flesh that was given to the Apostle Paul. He says in verse 7, to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. What's interesting is we don't know the specifics about what this thorn was. And this, the specifics about what this particular thorn was, was is something that is, is the talk of many, many Bible scholars and many biblical studies people. Uh, there have been all sorts of, of things that have been posited as to what this particular thorn could be, whether it was a, a, a physical thing or an emotional thing or a spiritual thing. But what we do know is that it was chronic. 
It was significant. That, that word that we get that, that, that is translated into thorn is a word that, that can also be translated into a tent stake. It's the word from, what, from which we derive crucifixion. So when we think of a thorn, you know, I, I get thorns all the time when I'm working outside, when I'm hunting and I'm you know, going from one place to another and you turn around and you turn, you know, before you know it, you, you've got thorns all over you. And it's annoying to sometimes to have to pick those thorns out of your skin and out of your clothing. But this was not a thorn like we have in the, West, the woods of West Virginia. This was a tent stake driven through him. Not, fit, not, not literally, but figuratively speaking. It was something that when he suffered it, he couldn't think about anything else. You know, some of you have, have been hurt in a significant way. You've, you've been hit. You've, if you're like me, you, get, you, you do this a lot. You, you, you hit yourself in the head or you, stop, you, st- you, you, you run into something or you, you, you stub your big toe on something. And wh- when you have a chronic injury, all you can think about is the part of your body that's hurting. You're not thinking about anything else. You know, I've heard the joke about a man who, who came to the doctor because he had a headache and the doctor took a, doctor took a hammer and, 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 and struck his hand with it. He said, well, why did you do that? And he said, well, you're not thinking about your headache anymore, are you? So this, th- this thorn in the flesh was something that could have been all-consuming for the Apostle Paul. It was not a minor annoyance. He was struggling significantly. He went from receiving this re- incredible revelation from God, this incredible spiritual high. This could have been, this could have been the, the pinnacle of his spiritual life on earth. And he went right from this incredibly spiritually high place to the depths of despair because of this thorn in the flesh. We learned that he asked God three times to remove it. It was that significant. It was that much of a source of weakness that Paul believed it, it, was, it was stopping his ministry effectiveness. God's answer was not to remove the thorn. God's answer in verse number nine, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. One of the greatest examples of Christian that we have in history had a prayer answered, no. But it was for a purpose. The purpose was for God's grace to be made strong, to be made powerful in Paul's weakness. So we see here that the experience of weakness that I've experienced at times and continue to experience, maybe that you experience at times, the ministry of weakness is a ministry from God to us so that we can learn to rely on his power. There are three things that we notice about God's ministry of weakness to us that, 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 that maybe you'll want to write down or maybe you'll want to remember. And the first is this. The ministry of weakness, it develops our sanctification. Do you know what I mean when I say sanctification? It's the process that began when you put your faith in Christ. You became saved. You became a believer in Jesus. And from that moment on, a process started that nobody can stop. That's the process of being made more and more and more like Jesus till ultimately when we spend eternity with God, we'll go from sanctification, being set apart and being made more holy to glorification. That process when Paul met the Lord on the Damascus Road started in his life. I pray that that process has started in your life. That you can go back to a place and you can go back to a time when you turned in trust to Jesus and placed your faith in him. And it may not have seemed like it at the time, but that process started in your life too. What we learn through the Bible and what you've probably experienced in your life though is it's not a linear process. 
The process of sanctification from our perspective is kind of like this. We see here that God uses this thorn in the flesh to make Paul more like him and to sand off the rough edges of Paul's life. You see that the source of this thorn was that it was given by God through his permission of allowing Satan to, in the words of the Apostle Paul, harass him. What I love about this, it reminds me of the story of Job. It reminds us that nothing happens outside of God's control. Nothing happens outside of God's permission. And we see here that Satan sent a messenger, that's that word that we get angel from, Satan sent a messenger to afflict Paul, remember, we don't, know the, we don't know the nature of the affliction. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. But we do, do know that it was sent by Satan, but it was permitted by God. We know that God has the power, had the power to stop it. Three times I, removed, or I pleaded with the Lord about this, that, he should, that it should leave me, that he would remove this thorn in the flesh. God was in control. We see here that it was the thorn was given me in the flesh. That use of the pa- that passive form of the verb reminds us that nothing happened outside of God's control. We look at the giver of that thorn. Satan was just a cog in God's wheel. That's what I love to think about. We think, think about spiritual warfare, and it, we should be careful. We should be concerned. We should realize that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. But we have to remember that greater is he who's in us than greater is he who's in the world. And he can even use the bad and the evil that Satan has planned to work sanctification in our lives. We also see that it worked in Paul's sanctification because it it brought him to his knees. It worked in his prayer life. Some of you know this very well, that when we come to places in our life where we're very weak, our prayer life is off the charts. I never pray more than when I'm up against an impossible situation. And you're probably like that too. And so was the Apostle Paul. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. You know, we, we, we take the word literally that he prayed three times, but we can see through the three times that he prayed, we see that there was a time in which he started praying. There was a time where he continued in prayer, praying that God would remove this thorn from his life. But there was a time when he stopped. Because God answered that prayer, not the way that he was expecting, maybe not the way that he was hoping, but God answered his prayer. You know, Paul wasn't looking for this thorn to, be, to continue in his life, this weakness to continue in his life because of some kind of stoicism, some kind of stoicism self-mastery he was doing. it. He, he, we see here that Paul wanted this, this thorn to be removed so that he could be more effective in his ministry, so that he could continue on his missionary journeys and doing the things that God had called him to do, but God said no. And why did God say no? We see the reason twice in one sentence. To keep me from becoming conceited because of the great the surpassing greatness of the revelations a thorn was given to me in a flesh the flesh a messenger from satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited this word for conceited has to do with lifting oneself up oneself up to be exalted and how many of us when things get going pretty good we start forgetting why things are going pretty good. And we start thinking, man, it's a good idea that I planned ahead for this. 
When it's a good idea, I spent all this time working and working and working for this promotion. It's, it, I, I'm, I'm really glad that, you, teens, I'm really glad I put in the work in the gym in the off season so that I can excel in baseball, I can excel in football during the season. Success sometimes goes right to our heads and it makes us forget the reason for the success. And we see here that God allowed this thorn in the flesh. We don't have an indication necessarily that Paul was becoming prideful. This was a preemptive thorn because God knew that the moment that Paul became became full of pride, his ministry effectiveness really would go down. And we see here that this was to keep Paul usable. It seems counterintuitive in the way, that we, the way that we think about things and the way that we process things in our human brains that weakness could make us more usable for God. But that's exactly how the economy of God works. That weakness can make us more usable. So the ministry of weakness, it, it develops our sanctification. The next, thing, uh, the next thing that we learn about the ministry of weakness is that it demonstrates God's sufficiency. It demonstrates Christ's sufficiency. Look at verse 9. We see Paul's, he, it's almost as if he puts this prayer up on a silver platter. We've seen times in which Paul prayed and it was miraculously answered in the affirmative. And I can't help but think Paul is thinking back to some of those times when he prayed and he received a yes, a big yes. Maybe you've been like that. I've been like that in my life. I prayed and I prayed it through and I prayed it through and I got that yes answer. And Paul was praying and he was waiting for that yes answer, but the answer was a no answer. He said to me, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you. If you boil down the entire passage, it could be boiled down to that phrase, this little revelation here. You know, we think about the greatness and the grandeur of the revelation that Paul received in the third heaven, in the presence of God, in paradise, those words that he could never repeat. But maybe more helpful to us is this tiny bit of revelation that Paul received at one of the lowest points in his life. My grace is sufficient for you. Well, sufficient for what? What's the size of God's grace? What's the size of the sufficiency of God's grace? I believe you can see that in the previous chapter, in chapter 11. Look at some of the ways in which God's grace was sufficient for the Apostle Paul. He lists all of the things that he endured for the sake of the gospel. Chapter 11, verse 24, he says, five times, excuse me, go back to verse 23. Countless imprisonments and beating, often near death, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I would avoid ships if I was the Apostle Paul. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness. Picking up on a theme, dangerous at the sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, hunger and thirst and often without food and exposure. And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for the churches. God's grace was sufficient for the Apostle Paul in all of those circumstances. He suffered injustice, and there are times we suffer injustice. 
He was in crisis after crisis after crisis after crisis. And sometimes in our life, it seems like we're in crisis after crisis after crisis after crisis. He had to step into the unknown. Did you hear all the times the word danger was used? He had to step into the uncertain, step into the unknown. He experienced rejection and betrayal. He had many sleepless nights. I don't think it was because he had kids. I think it was because it was weighing on his mind, all of the pressure. Many sleepless nights. He was in physical danger. He bore the weight of others' spiritual warfare and missteps. You see, we didn't read it, but in verse 29, he says, Who is weak, and I'm not weak? Who's made to fall, and I'm not indignant? All of the churches that he helped, that he helped, be, helped start through the power of God, all of the believers in each of those churches, he felt the weight of their spiritual lives hanging on him. Some of us can identify with that in the sense that there are, there, are ki- there are kids, grandkids, people that we know that are far from God and we desperately want to see them come to know Christ and we feel the weight of their spiritual lives hanging on us. Paul says in all this, God's grace was sufficient. It was enough. He goes on to say, quoting this revelation from the Lord, my power is made perfect in weakness. That, that, that phrase, made perfect, it's, it's, the, it's the word to which we also derive the, 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 the famous legendary word that Jesus said on the cross before he died, tetelestai, it is finished. It's a word that means bring to completion, to make full, to fulfill, to accomplish. So you could even translate it, my strength is accomplished in weakness. God often does his greatest work when we're backed into a corner. What if we saw weakness in our lives as a divinely appointed opportunity for God's strength to break through through us? Reminds me of the book of John, I believe it's chapter 9. There was the blind man who was, who was brought, to, who was brought to, to Jesus, and they said, Who sinned, this man or his parents? And what did Jesus say? It wasn't he or his parents who sinned, but it was the glory. He, he is this way that the glory of God might be displayed through him. And some of us, we can't, just like the Apostle Paul for a, a time, we can't make sense of why God made us the way he did. We can't make sense of why God put us in the positions that he put us in, that we, we feel like we're operating out of a position of weakness. It's so that the glory of God might be displayed of him working through our lives. So the ministry of weakness It demonstrates Christ's sufficiency. But finally, the ministry of weakness, it demands our surrender. We see a crisis point that the Apostle Paul has brought to, this thorn in the flesh that was, in his words, harassing him. I believe in the old King James it says that he was buffeted by it. That doesn't have anything to do with the golden crowd. That doesn't have anything to do with the guy that sings about... um, um, uh, the islands and stuff, Jimmy Buffett. That has to do with being hit with the fist, blow after blow. How did Paul get on the other side of dealing with that? It was by surrendering to what Jesus was doing in his life. It was by surrendering to the weakness that God put in his life and seeing how how God could work through it. This was in stark contrast to the culture around him, just like it's in stark contrast to the culture around us. Some specific things that we learn about the Greco-Roman world in which Paul was ministering and in which the church in Corinth existed. They stressed rugged individualism that valued self 
sufficiency. Kind of sounds like America. It emphasized wealth as the key to status in society. Kind of sounds like America. But Paul was poor. It emphasized a self-display of accomplishments and possessions to pray, win praise from others. They didn't have Instagram back then, but they found a way to show off who they were and what they had. It emphasized competition for honor that viewed boasting as a natural way to express yourself. Boasting, bragging on yourself, talking yourself up was considered a virtue. And in this culture, orators, people who would speak in front of crowds, they gained a following. Now, tell me this isn't 2023 America. Orators gained a following not by the virtue of their content, but by their ability to captivate their audience with entertainment. That's where we are, but that's where he was. And he was operating and he was writing to a church that was ooed and awed by the entertainment value of speakers. And he was a purveyor of truth. He was someone who may not have been the most skilled orator, but he had the words of God. So did he become like the culture? Did he put himself out in front? Did he list all of the special accomplishments? Did he talk about all of the revelations that he had and exactly what God said? Did he, did he, did he, did, did he put out in front all of the credentials in which he had studied the Old Testament scriptures? He led from his weakness. I was uh, required to take a test in, in seminary and it was called the lead from your strengths profile. And in the lead from your strength, this was a good test, by the way, and, and we, there, we should use our strengths that God has given us to serve him. Um, but we have to be careful that when we see our weaknesses, we don't run away from them and run to our strengths because God has called us to serve in some very specific areas, and that's not always what we're strong at. God has given us spiritual gifts. God has given some people natural abilities. Uh, what, I, what is just incredible to me is some of our teenagers and the abilities that God has given them. I mean, they excel in, 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 in dance and in sports and in art and in so many different things. And I love going to their games and cheering them on. And, and, and then sometimes we get to see with our, I keep coming back to teenagers because they're, yeah, they're who I, I, mean, I care about you guys too, but I really love our teenagers too. Um, what's so incredible to see is once they start serving God, you start to see their spiritual gifts coming out. You start to see them realizing the, the specific ways that God empowered them, maybe beyond their natural abilities. But then sometimes as we serve together, they're put in a situation where they have to serve in an area where it's not their natural ability. And maybe it's not even the specific area in which God has gifted them to serve. And what is so incredible and so beautiful is to watch them embrace serving out of a position of weakness and watching God's power work through them to do incredible, incredible things. We call that in our student ministry, especially on a mission trips, the other side of surrender. And that's where Paul was. That's where he ended up. When God said, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul made it to the other side of the surrender to where he said, God, wherever, whatever, whatever, whether I'm good at it, whether I'm bad at it, whether I feel confident in it or whether I don't, I'll do what you ask because I believe that you'll work through me. And that's where Paul was. What does that look like? I believe if you turn a few pages back into chapter four of 2 Corinthians, you see what that looks like. The Apostle Paul says in verse number eight, we're afflicted 
in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. We're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that in the life of Jesus, that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our bodies. Go down to verse number 16. He says, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed every day for this light and momentary affliction. This light and momentary affliction is preparing us. It's the ministry of weakness for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We see the consequence of surrendering to God in two words here in this passage. He says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. In verse number 9 and then in verse number 10 he says, for the sake of Christ then I am content with weaknesses. Hardships, insults, persecutions, for when I'm weak, I'm strong. Paul had a weakness. But on the other side of the surrender, we see God working in incredible ways through Paul. Because we know from, church, we know from the Bible, we know from history, that Paul continued to serve in incredibly effective ways. This happened 14 years ago from when Paul was writing. Paul was on his way from Ephesus to Macedonia. Many scholars believe when he was writing this second letter to the Corinthians. Anybody know what happened through the Apostle Paul in Ephesus while he still had that thorn in the flesh? Incredible, incredible. It was, his ministry was so effective through the power of God, he put the idol makers out of business. They got upset because he put them out of business. Wouldn't it be incredible if because we just yield to God, even allowing him to work through our weakness that we put some of the contemporary idol makers out of business through our service to God and him working through us. So what's on the other side of surrender for you? Three uh, points of application and we'll leave. The teens always have a little, um, little kind of competition with me whether I can alliterate the application points. Uh, you know, we have all kinds of, we have P words, C words, D words, all kinds of different words. Tonight we have three R words that I wanna leave you with. Uh, as we leave, as we start a new week, as we think about applying what we've learned tonight, and the first is the word remove. If we want to experience the ministry of weakness, we have to remove the facade of self-sufficiency. Facade is spelled F-A-C-A-D-E, by the way. You know what I mean by the, 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 a facade? Have you ever, you ever met someone who that you knew they were wearing a facade? If we're honest, there are times we've had to wear a facade. We'd have to, had to pretend like everything's okay when everything is not okay. What I love about God's revelation through the Apostle Paul, his speaking through the Apostle Paul here is that in the middle of a culture where you had to put your best foot forward, in the middle of, middle of a culture where you had to portray yourself as strong as you could be, Paul puts his weak foot forward. He lets everyone know that he struggles with weakness just like they do. What would happen if we started being real with God, ourselves, and others? Being real sometimes can be taken a little to the extreme. We don't see the Apostle Paul telling exactly what the weakness was, what the thorn was, but what we do see here is Paul admitting that I'm like you. There are times when I have to rely on the power and the strength of God in my life. We need to be real with God 
We see the Apostle Paul being real with God and with himself, and we need to be real with others. Some of us, the struggles that we're going through right now in our lives, there are other people who are going through the same struggles, but because we put a facade on and because they put a facade on, we're missing out on the mutual encouragement and the mutual building up. I hope that you left encouraged by reading the words of the Apostle Paul here, by him talking about his weakness. Um, Some of us, there are words that we have because of what we're going through that others could leave encouraged tonight because they know what we're dealing with and they can see us relying and depending on the power of God and they'll be led to rely and and depend on the power of God just like we are. We need to remove the the facade of self-sufficiency. The next R word is we need to realize that God is working in our weaknesses. Paul had an aha moment here, I guess you could say. When Paul was praying and praying and praying and praying that that thorn would be removed, his aha moment came when God said, my strength is sufficient, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What does Paul say afterward? I had my aha moment, therefore I'll boast all the more gladly in my weakness. I'm content with weakness. Some of us, and I, I, this, these are not one-time things. These are not boxes you check because Removing the facade of self-sufficiency, we have to do that every day. Realizing that God is working in our weakness, we have to do that every day. We have to have that aha moment every day when we sit down with God's word and we read and we remember the power of God and we realize that without him, we're nothing. Realize that God is working in your weakness. Even in those areas that are just so hard to see God working, we know he's in control. We know even in areas where Satan is afflicting, God is in control. The third R word, we recognize, we need to recognize opportunities to rely on God's power. What if we stopped seeing weaknesses as things to run away from? We started seeing weaknesses as divinely appointed opportunities for God to work through us and reach others. We think about some of the limitations that we have. I went to the doctor, it was about a year ago, for a checkup, and they asked you, do you have any problems? <laughs> I was like, well, how long you got, right? But, um, but this is the first time I had a problem. Um, I said, I, I run, and sometimes if I run longer than four or five miles, um, I can't recover for three or four days. I used to recover in a day or two. My, my feet would feel great, and I was just ready to, ready to go. And he said, well, those are words you hate to hear. That might have to do with your age. And I realized that there are some, limit, some limitations, and I'm sure we could all talk about our, our limitations. I was speaking to a man visiting him in the hospital probably a week or two ago, and, and he was talking about how he used to have a book full of appointments with clients. But now he has a book full of appointments with doctors. But he said, what's so incredible? He said, I, I tried to share the gospel with my clients. He said, but I had to be careful because I was also on business, and I, was, I, I had to be diplomatic. But he said, this is great. I've got a captive audience. They have to listen to me. And what if we saw some of the weaknesses that we have in our lives as opportunities that God put in our lives for him to work through us? Weakness that we experience is God's ministry in our lives so that we can experience his power.